Matthew 28. I'm just going to begin in the beginning of the chapter, and I'll read uh, the first part of it here. It says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring the disciples' word. And let's pray. Father, what a story. But we're grateful, Lord, that it's not just a story. It is history. It is the truth of what took place on that day that Christ arose from the dead victorious over death and the grave Lord that we can have salvation through what he accomplished on that cross and so Lord we just ask your blessing this morning you ask for your help as we look at your word today Lord pray that you would give me the words to speak and that this would be real in our lives Lord that we would understand how this applies to each one of us, that I would understand how it applies to me, Lord. So, Lord, we just ask again for your help that you would bless our time in Christ's name. Amen. You look at this passage, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is our starting point. This is how we get to where we are. And I look at this and it says that they came, the ladies came to the grave. And then there was an earthquake. And the angel descends and rolls the stone away. That's not how Jesus got out of the tomb. <laughs> He's already out. But the angel just revealing that it's empty. Jesus didn't need the door to be opened for him. He came out already. He was already gone. This morning, I want to... I, I looked around trying to come up with what to, to preach on today. And I'm just, I'm just reading different things and different ideas. And the one idea says, pastors keep looking for a new angle. <laughs> you know, year after year, you're preaching the same message. So you're looking for a new angle on the resurrection. And it says, stop looking for a new angle and just preach <laughs> the same old story. Right? That's the story we need to hear. And so that's the story we're going to preach this morning. I'm going to back up all the way, as you can see, to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. We could go further back. We could go back to the Garden of Eden to reveal 
why it came to this, where Jesus had to die on that cross. But we'll start in Exodus 20. And we're just going to look at the law a little bit. Because this is pointing to you and me. I'm going to read this portion that's the Ten Commandments. So Exodus chapter 20, I'll start in verse 1. It says, God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, Thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And that's the Ten Commandments, and I don't know if, about you, if you've ever been reading your Bible and come to this, I remember struggling to come up with where the, the defining line for the Ten Commandments is. Because <laughs> the first couple, there's a lot of stuff given there, and I had a hard time deciphering where the dividing point was. But when you look at a list like this, and it starts to, to add up. And so we see, initially, it the most important commandment, the one at the top of the list. And you notice that the first four commandments all deal with our relationship with God. Because it's our relationship with God that matters most. And so thou shalt have no other gods before me. God is to be number one. And thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image and it gets kind of elaborate in that of not bowing down to those graven images. I wonder about our world of artwork. If we're kind of breaking that commandment when we paint pictures and have carvings of things. 
it says not to have that, and yet we do it, and well, we're not we're not worshiping it. It's just we enjoy the art, right? Anyway, I have a feeling if we were applying this to us, <laughs> that first commandment, "Thou shalt have no other gods before me," and we think that we're clear on that one, right? Because we don't worship Baal or Buddha, and we don't we don't have these gods that we worship. But really what that amounts to is if you put anything before God, you've made it a God. Which means if, and I've said this before, but if at the start of my day, if I watch the latest news update before I read my Bible, I've made that a God. I've put that before God. If I decide to go fishing on Sunday mornings because it's a nice day, instead of going to church and worshiping together, I've made that thing my God. I've put it before God. And I don't want to lift up church attendance. It's not like a we have to you have to attend church or you're going to hell. We don't work for our salvation, but it just kind of puts a, it shows where our heart is. And we make these graven images. We have artwork and we have nice stuff, right? We like looking at our nice stuff. We're guilty, easily, on the first two counts. The third one, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I'm shocked when I see how many people who profess to be Christians in their day-to-day texting and communication use OMG without a thought as to what they're saying. <laughs> I remember one of the campers at camp, one of our, our songs, I can't think of what the song is, but it has the phrase, oh my God, as we're singing <laughs> praise to God. And the camper's like, we're not supposed to say that. <laughs> like, like, well, we are supposed to say it when we're talking to God. <laughs> we're just not supposed to say it just in a, a casual way. And so we, we do these things, though. And we take the name of God lightly. We use Jesus' name as a curse word in our day-to-day lives. Hopefully we don't, but people do. And I'm sure every one of us has used God's name carelessly in some way at some point and had something come out of our mouth in that regard. And I'm sure every one of us is guilty on that count. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? I don't think we do that. Honor thy father and mother. (laughs) I can look at my kids. Do you always, have you always obeyed? Have you always done the right thing in regards to your father and mother? Do you always give them the honor that they deserve? And as children, we certainly are all guilty of not doing that. And even as adults, there's times where we don't put the right honor on our parents, right? We can go through every one of these things. Every single one of us is guilty on every point in this list. 
thou shalt not kill, and, you know, well, I never killed anyone, is usually somebody's answer if you try to bring the, the gospel in. Are you a good person? Well, I never kill anyone. It's like, that's the standard. <laughs> and Jesus, of course, raised the bar on that one. He says, if you hate somebody, you're, you're guilty of murder in your heart already. And I know I'm guilty there. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus, once again, he raises the bar. He says, if you look with lust, you're guilty. Thou shalt not steal. And who of us hasn't taken something that wasn't ours? And perhaps not on purpose, but it wasn't important for you to return that thing, <laughs> right? Whether it's a cookie from the cookie jar, Paul, I mean, <laughs> we, we do these things, we take things, and we think, because it has little value, and no one will know it's not important. Well, it's important to God, because his standard is so much higher than our standard. Thou shalt not bear false witness. You ever told a lie? If you say no, I'm just going to call you a liar, right? Because <laughs> I know you have. And thou shalt not covet. And I don't know if I've gone through a day in my life where I haven't seen something. Man, I wish I could have that. So I can look at this list of the Ten Commandments. And this is just the base level stuff. And I am guilty of every single one of them. I'm guilty. I've broken every one of those Ten Commandments. In Matthew 22, if you want to just turn there, we'll read this, this passage. It's funny, I went to the, the Good Friday service, and it's so strange to me. I took my Bible... And not once did I open the Bible. <laughs> because everything is done for you and it's not, they don't give you the time to, to turn in your own Bible. Like, we need to do that. <laughs> we need to turn in our own Bible. We need to read it for ourselves. Well, Matthew 22, I'm just going to read just this short past portion of this story. In verse 36. Maybe I should back up just a little bit more. Verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If we look at those ten commandments, it said the first four is our relationship with God. The next six is our relationship with people and how we treat people. That's why he can say, these two statements covers the whole thing. Because if you just do those two things, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself, 
you will fulfill and not break those Ten Commandments. And so this is the, the two. This is summed up in these two lines. And so the greatest commandments is love God, love your neighbor. We need to be careful, though, because our world and a large portion of the church today has got those two backwards. They seem to think that loving our neighbor trumps loving God and obeying God. But God has to come first. And if I have to do something that is not loving to my neighbor, whether it's the guy next door or someone down the street or around the world, or whoever it is, somebody in my church, if I am forced to do something that seems unloving towards that person because I'm obeying what God said for me to do, (laughs) if I'm obeying God first, there's times where the world will see my actions as not being loving because they have a, a skewed view of what love is. Truth isn't necessarily a part of the world's version of love. And so we just need to make sure that we don't mix those two up and get the importance of those two backwards. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Not your neighbor and then God. Right? Here's a thought that, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, I didn't, until I saw this. If the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, then the greatest sin is to not do that. Right? We're guilty of the greatest possible sin because we certainly are guilty of breaking that first commandment. Now, we've looked at the Ten Commandments, just the basic law. And if I'm honest with myself, I've said... I am guilty of breaking every one of those Ten Commandments. And I'm sure every one of you are as well. But there's people who try to claim that they... Jesus dealt with people who tried to claim that they kept the commandments. But it goes beyond. Last week, Jen did a a song from Child Evangelism Fellowship. And she said they, they define sin to the kids as anything we, we think, say, or do that breaks God's law. And that's kind of the Ten Commandments idea. But it goes beyond that. The scripture builds on what sin is beyond that. And maybe if you want to... I won't turn to, to Romans 14 because I'd have to read the whole chapter to get the whole context of this. But really what's going on in that chapter is he's bringing up things like clean and unclean meats, things that are offered to idols and different, different food issues, and then the obeying of the, the Sabbath day. And we understand that we don't follow the Sabbath day. We are meeting on the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week. And we do that because of the resurrection. We do it because Christ rose on the first day of the week. And in his fulfillment of the law perfectly, completely, 
we're not bound to the law in the same way that the Jews were. And so we get these things like the clean and unclean meats that God has cleansed. <laughs> we're allowed to eat these things that used to be unclean for the Jews to eat. We're allowed to worship on whichever day of the week we choose, and we're not bound to just the Sabbath day. And he's dealing with this, but he's saying, those of us who, who know, who have studied and understand what Christ did and accomplished, and how that frees us from some of these things, can, and we're right when we do that, but we're wrong when we condemn those that don't have that understanding and we hurt their conscience. And he's saying that if somebody who's doting that, who doesn't understand that, and thinks that I, they need to obey those Old Testament rules in those areas, and in the area of the food, he says, basically, if, if me, in my confidence, convince somebody that you're okay, it's not not going to hurt. You're, you're free to eat whatever. You can have the ham on Easter dinner and you'll be okay. But if they don't actually understand and in their conscience are thinking they're breaking the law and disobeying God, it says he that doubts is damned if he eat. Because he eats not of faith. He's breaking his own conscience. And so in something where I'm not even breaking God's law, but I'm breaking my conscience, where in my own heart I feel that what I'm doing is wrong, even though the Bible doesn't say so, it's wrong. And I'm not doing it in faith. And it says whatever is not of faith is sin. I'm not breaking God's well, I'm permitted to do this thing, and yet it's still sin if I'm breaking my own conscience by doing it. That's, that's how far God goes with these things. And it goes beyond that once again. I'll read the verse first. It says, therefore, in James, James 4, 17, it says, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That kind of changes things again, doesn't it? There's no, there's no, there's no rule to even follow here. <laughs> it's just, I know to do, I know what's right in this situation. Just in my heart, I know what the right thing to do is. And if I don't do that thing, it's sin. There, there doesn't need to be anything written. There's no, no scripture I can turn to to prove this point. But if in my heart I know to do good in this situation and I don't do the good that I know that I should do, I'm sinning. That's pretty all-encompassing now, isn't it? Like There's a broad area of stuff that we can call sin and Most of you can probably read that, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a German pastor who was tortured and, and martyred by the Nazis for refusing to be silent. 
just insisted he must preach. (laughs) And he suffered for that. And he made the statement that silence in the face of evil is itself evil. And God will not hold us guiltless. Not Not to speak is to speak. And not to act is to act. So we need to have some some judgment in our minds, right? Of when we need to do something, when we need to speak up. And to not do so would be to sin. And so we've come to the conclusion that scripture is very clear on. If, If we're honest at all in ourselves, we have to come to the conclusion that I am guilty, that I have sinned and I fall short of the glory of God. And we understand that sin separates us from God. Now, we went to a church and I heard it preached that the the preacher refused to say that hell exists. That hell is an eternal fire that torments the lost for eternity. And he just insisted that separation from God removes all good because God is the source of good and therefore not being with God. That separation from God is hell. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there is <laughs> then shall he say unto them that are on the left depart from me, curse it into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Our guilt of sin has a consequence and it is an eternity burning in a lake of fire. That is what the Bible says, and there's no way around that. But thankfully, God made a way around that. Now, we were driving through town yesterday, and, uh, is it centerfolds, I guess? (laughs) I didn't see it, my wife did, so she's the one looking at the sign, not me. (laughs) But this is the sign out front. If we don't sin, then Jesus died for nothing. Technically, that's true. <laughs> but it's the lost people making a mockery of what Christ has done, right? But you know what that reveals? It reveals they know the truth. <laughs> they know what they're guilty of. And they know they need Christ to die in their place because they know that that's the result of their sin right they know it if you can put up a sign on a strip club <laughs> that says that man there must be some serious guilt going on in that person's life because they know they're not just taking their own soul to hell but they're they're dragging as many others with them as they can and then they make a mockery of the solution to the problem that they know that they have. And that solution is that God commendeth his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, while we're doing that, those people that are mocking Christ on the cross, he died for them. While they were doing it, he died for the soldier that's putting the nails in his hands and feet. And he looks down and forgives them. Could you do that? (laughs) We don't understand. We, We take 
our salvation so lightly. We take Easter, whatever you want to call it, but the crucifixion of Jesus on that cross, we get so used to the story that it's not this serious thing. We need to understand that we're as guilty as those people were. At some point in our life, we made a mockery of what God did. We understood the gospel. We understood what Christ did in our place, and we rejected that. And yet he died for our sins anyway. Our sins were paid for on that cross, even when we were in that condition, making a mockery of him and rejecting him. So he died for us. He took our place, took the punishment that we deserve, and being in his perfection, was able to take God's wrath on him that would be eternity for us. But in his perfection, he was able to take that on him and pay that price completely for us. And so it didn't take eternity for him, thankfully. And he said, and this is long before his crucifixion, but he made the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We're dead. <laughs> Our sins cause us to be dead. <laughs> Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. And we, are, we know we're guilty, and so our position prior to coming to Christ is that we are dead. <laughs> You're a dead man walking when, before Christ. But you don't have to be. You can come and receive that payment through faith, and we get this hope of a resurrection that Christ was the example. He's the first fruits risen from the dead, He says, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. There's a resurrection waiting for all of us. This body, this body has to die because this body is guilty. But we have a soul. We have an eternal part of us that can be made to live forever through faith in Christ. I want to read... I, I think I'm going to read pretty much the whole chapter of Romans 6. So if you want to go there. That sign if we don't sin then Jesus died for nothing it's that attitude that this chapter is dealing with it says what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein know ye not 
that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it and the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become the servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is such a description of what Christ has accomplished in his death that by faith, his death applies to our account. We know that we're guilty. The death was for us, not for him. He didn't have to die. We know Christ as the son of God. He raised others from the dead back to life. He healed others. He did 
miraculous things. He walked on water and he did these things. He, he can calm a storm and commands the weather. Of course, he could free himself from the cross as those that stood by mocked him saying he saved others and yet he can't save himself. It's like he chose to not save himself because he was doing it for you. <laughs> for your guiltiness. Because you were the wages of your sin is your death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It was He took that payment for you. We need to understand that we need to consider ourselves dead to sin. That we crucify our flesh with Christ. Consider this thing a dead. This thing is this flesh, this body that we're stuck in in this life needs to die so that we can live a life that glorifies God. We need to yield ourselves, as the passage says, not to sin, but unto righteousness. We need to be free. Verse 18 said, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Verse 22 says, but being now made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. When the disciples came back to Jesus glorifying in the fact that the devils were subject to them, that they were able to cast out devils and command evil spirits to leave people and they obeyed them. They were glorifying in that and Jesus says glory not in that but that your names are written in the book of life. That's what we glory in is that Christ paid the price for me and I can glory in him that my name is written down. And in that final judgment day, regardless of the sin and the guilt that I know exists on my account, it was paid for completely. And that I get set free, even though I don't deserve it. I hope that that is true for every one of you. Let's pray. Lord, the Bible is full of this type of explanation of what Christ accomplished for us and how this applies in our lives and how we're to respond. Forsaking a life of sin and living a life that's glorifying to God because of the payment that was made for us, because our debt was paid on the cross. And Lord, there is victory through his resurrection. and We have a hope of eternal life that our name can be written down and we can know that we have eternal life. And so Lord, I just pray that each one of us would be assured of that this morning. And if anybody doesn't currently know that, that they would turn their lives to you, Lord, that they would seek to know that truth and to be able to experience that for themselves. 
So, Lord, again, we commit this time to you, and we're thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen.